the year is 2021. As the world faces threats of both a pandemic and rampant stupidity, the future of movie theaters and film itself begins to look uncertain. Amid the chaos, two film geeks try to make sense of it all. When all hope seems lost for our pair of cinephiles, a beacon of light shines in the distance. A trailer so beautiful, so insane, and so over the top that it might just be the film to pull our heroes from their malaise. That film is Godzilla vs. Kong. Our nerdy duo sees this as a call to arms and embarks on a journey that few would dare, with one a seasoned Godzilla expert and the other an optimistic newcomer. Together, they will take the franchise head-on, watching all 35 Godzilla films in a time span few mortals could manage, all leading up to the grand finale of Godzilla vs. Kong. Join them as they escape to Monster Island. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to the Not Buff Film Buff podcast. I'm Wes Skinner, here as always with Josh Lapierre. What's up, Josh? Sup, bud? How are we doing today? Pretty good, man. So today we're actually doing an episode friends have been asking me about pretty much since we started this podcast. Episode six of our Escape to Monster Island series, where we'll be finally covering the American Godzilla films. Josh, you as pumped as I am to talk about these? Hell yeah. Mainly MonsterVerse, because fuck 98. (laughs) Yeah, we'll we'll cross that trash heap when we get there. Now, the films we'll be talking about today are strictly the ones made here in America, so we won't be discussing the American redubs or re-release versions of any of the Toho films. The three we'll be covering today are Godzilla 1998, Godzilla 2014, and Godzilla King of the Monsters. Now, this is our first episode where I've actually seen every film we'll be discussing before this podcast, so it's been interesting to go in having some sort of predetermined opinion on each one and then having some of those remain the same and then others change a bit. Josh, how was rewatching these for you? Well, working or uh, watching 98 was interesting. We'll get more into that as the uh, podcast goes on. Well, uh, work is a good word for it, too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that, it was a it was work to get through that one. I have way more emotional connection to the MonsterVerse films, which I'll dive more into as we get to them. I'm way more excited to talk about those ones than I am 98. I can understand why. Yeah, it's just, it's nice to be a Godzilla fan and actually have competent American reboots happening right now. It's been a good time to be a fan, and those films help further cement my obsession with Godzilla. Which uh, is crazy that it needed further cementing. I know, right? It's like 28. No, 28 films didn't cover it all. Right. Just not enough. Just not enough. So, yeah, I think my favorite thing about watching these is seeing how a different culture interprets a character that is so important to another culture. This is a very obviously with both of these different iterations, because the second two films we'll be talking about are in the same series. But both of these two different American versions are very different and kind of take what they please some more so than others um, from the Japanese stuff. But yeah, it's really interesting, even when they remain pretty faithful, how different things can get. So I'm excited to kind of get into the differences there and talk about those. So yeah, without further ado, you ready to get into it? Hell yeah. All right. So first up, we're going to talk about Godzilla released in 1998. So this was the first attempt to adapt the Godzilla series by a Hollywood studio. Godzilla begins with the fishing trawler Kobayashi Maru being pulled beneath the waves by an unknown force. The French government concludes this to be the work of a huge monster spawned by their nuclear testing in a French Polynesia 
30 years prior. The creature makes its way across Panama and swims to New York City, where the American military finds itself in an urban conflict theater as it tries to destroy the monster. Dr. Nico Totopoulos worries that the monster, dubbed Godzilla, has reproduced asexually and that its offspring could overrun the city. Now, while the military fights Godzilla in the urban landscape, Nick and the French Secret Services venture below the city streets to find Godzilla's nest before it's too late. Now, I think embarrassingly enough, this is probably the first Godzilla film I ever saw because I was I was never really a Godzilla fan when I was little. And it was before I really became a film fan to become intrigued even about the original, which is obviously very highly praised. So just saw this because when you're seven years old in 1998, that was the thing you do was you saw this movie. I remember it vividly seeing the VHS tape at probably all my friends' houses. And then I can only imagine that all of those VHS tapes are now in a bonfire burning somewhere. But yeah, this movie's as miserable as uh, as you hear it is. I think the worst part for me was realizing how long it was. Because what's the runtime on this bad boy again? It's over two hours. I think it's like two hours and... Yeah, I think it was like 2.20. Yeah, it's two hours and 19 minutes. Something, yeah, so... yeah, it's something like that. That's, That's too long. Yeah. Well, so... I think it's important to mention. So this is the one that for this episode, we decided to watch together and for obvious reasons. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we definitely prepared ourselves. We did drinking games alongside it too, basically trying oh, yeah. to make this as painless of an experience as possible. And I remember 15 minutes in, and I think you were in the same place where we were both kind of like, wait, is this movie good? Yeah, I was shocked. The first 15, 20 minutes, I was actually genuinely like, oh, God, am I? Because it had been probably a decade since I last saw this movie. Same. It Maybe even longer, because once I got old enough to realize that this was a terrible movie, I was like, it doesn't exist. It's not part of the Godzilla franchise. I don't know what movie you're talking about. But anyways, so we played a drinking game along with it. And, you know, first 20 minutes, I was like, I'm not really pounding down my beer. You know, I'm. I'm enjoying this, honestly. It's, you know, it a fine. schlocky. Yeah, it was like a generic 90s action movie, and it was mm-hmm. kind of good. And then they get to New York, and it all falls down. Yeah, well, the problem is that it keeps going, right? I, I think yeah. that was my biggest issue with it, is about, like, 45 minutes in, you have, like, your first big action set piece and in New York. And I thought I thought it was honestly fine. I, I mean, I didn't... It wasn't amazing, but there were a couple effects where I was actually like, okay, that's not as bad as I remember. A um, couple cool shots, a couple cool Godzilla reveals. But then, yeah, you realize there's so much more of the movie and it starts heavily relying on its human characters, which are absolute trash. And I think that's where the movie starts to really fall apart because shit on this iteration of Godzilla all you want, which is essentially just a big iguana. Yes, that's a problem. However, as you told me, the animation series kind of after this kind of proves that that wasn't the issue, really. You know, the the issue really is the human characters. The the issue is that you then rely on these people who are like 90% of them miscast and the humor is so fucking awkward and you just don't you're not invested in any of them. The characters are so cardboard cut out paper thin but then they give them an amount of screen time as if they're all fucking Marlon Brando and it does not work at all. And then, yeah, by the end of it, I was just, yeah, very thankfully inebriated and really over the movie. I think by the end of it, we just kind of devolved into talking about other shit. 
<laughs> oh, oh, hell yeah, we did. We we're Definitely. just like, yeah. What, when's a uh, Mortal Kombat come out again? And uh, oh yeah, let's. Did you see this this Godzilla figure online? This is pretty sweet. And we were like, weren't even paying attention. Yeah, no. By the end of the movies, like when Godzilla was being taken out by the Air Force, I was clocked out. I was five years in. I was I was feeling it. You know, had a little uh, some other uh, substances, and was just like, yep. I was playing on my phone, just talking the shit with Wes, and yeah, this movie. So what bothers me the most is it starts off strong for as strong as you can get. Like it starts off with a nuclear metaphor, Godzilla being birthed by, you know, the atom, not an atom bomb, whatever bomb they dropped in the French Polynesia and everything. And it was just like, it it starts off promising. And then fucking Matthew Broderick shows up and then you're just like, oh, yep, nope. And it's funny too, because he's not even terrible in the first scene. It's yeah, the, no. like, everything after that. I was just like, wow, why, who sat there and was like, Matthew Broderick needs to be this character. That's a um, lot of fish. Which, by the way, yeah, so he's the, uh, what do they keep calling him? Like, the... The worm guy. The worm guy. So, yeah, I'm not even going to pretend to remember the exact title he has, but, yeah, he's some sort of worm scientist, and that apparently... Yeah, he studies, he was studying the effects of radiation on worms in chernobyl i think i think that's where he starts off his character and it's like cool at least you know they're keeping in line with you know studying radiation but then that gets dropped as soon as he gets to like new york and everything like godzilla they don't even i don't think they even connect the radiation to godzilla once you know yeah after the first like 20 minutes what i find interesting is that i think when we think of this movie everyone's knee-jerk reaction is to be like yeah it shits all over everything that is godzilla but the funny thing is if you look at it on paper a lot of the pieces are here right like your main characters are scientists with a weird specialization and something reporters like you have all the pieces there yeah it misses the it misses the heart and it misses character arcs that make sense it misses an allegory that it cares about it misses you know so many of these things that you're left feeling like it's from a completely different franchise. Don't forget, they also, you know, the one thing they do keep in line with, the military can't hit a giant 300-foot-tall monster. Like, come on, you guys. Seriously. Which was, which was one of the one of the drinking game rules. Was oh, yeah, every, it's every time. Every, what was it? Every time the military misses and hits a building, you have to drink, and oh, boy, that's what destroyed a lot of my beer. <laughs> you know what the most was, though, was the product placement. Yep. Product okay, placement, yep. I think, got me the most. I went through a whole whiskey drink on product placement. They were yep, killing me with that. Because right. just when I would think there like wasn't any in the background, you'd be like, oh, there's like Sony or something. I don't I don't remember what the exact brands were we kept seeing, but there were like a solid four or five brands that kept rotating in and out that constantly got advertisements in this movie. It's like a fucking soccer jersey of movies. It was it was mainly Sony products because this is a Sony movie. Yep. Okay. It was Sony then. Yeah. So yeah. That was obnoxious. Like I said, most of the casting was obnoxious. And yeah, I don't know. This movie felt like weirdly just broad and silly. And it just, it's interesting because it's, I, I, when we were originally watching it, and again, when I talk about elements that they bring in to try and make it feel like a Godzilla movie, I think the bringing in the French army was part of that because in the Japanese movies, a lot of times like the Americans will intervene. But the problem here is that when American characters are in Godzilla movies, they're usually treated somewhat seriously. I mean, a lot of times it'll be satirically, but they're at least treated as serious characters, whereas the French characters are like the most French. They just dialed the French dial up to 11 with all these guys. So oh, got, oui, oui. Yeah, you got Jean, Jean Renault 
playing the professional. Just, yep. Uh, <laughs> playing the most French guy possible. And yeah, it's like, oh, you, you called this coffee. And just like, really, are we, are we really doing these fucking jokes? And it's like, this is not French roast. And I was just like, this is too fucking much is what it is. Like they might yeah. as well have just made him a frog, like an actual, <laughs> like they, they might as well just made him a legitimate frog person because at this point, fuck it. If we're just committing that hard, but yeah, this movie has zero subtlety and there's so many times when it tries to be clever too. And you're just like that, that was so stupid. And even as like a, I just can't believe I ate this shit up as a seven year old. Oh, same. Cause I, I barely remember it now, but I think when I first saw the movie, I really liked it again, being a child and not being intelligent i was uh i definitely won over by it but again i think it's just you put anything with effects and it's it's the late 90s effect with visuals that you're sort of like ooh, cgi is new so it, it's it's stuff we weren't able to see before so we didn't really care about how good it looked necessarily we were just kind of like oh well, we get a giant dinosaur that's cool um but yeah, again, no subtlety and and times it tries to be clever with like the whole. So what was it? Siskel and Ebert shit on one of his other movies. So he decided. Yeah, they name... shit on like Independence Day and Stargate. So Roland Emmerich was like, ha ha, I'm going to get back at you and have two characters make fun of you. And then Siskel and Ebert clapped back with, if you're going to put us in the movie, at least have Godzilla kill us. And it's just like, yep, thank you. Because <laughs> they do like nothing with the characters. Which, by the way, on a side note, if you are someone who is a film fan and you think you're above Siskel and Ebert, you can go fuck yourself. Because I understand there are pretentious critics out there who don't know what they're talking about or just refuse to enjoy movies on a surface level. You go back and you look at some of Ebert's takes, especially like that man was way ahead of his time. Like he he looked at films through a lens that a lot of people look at them now. And even if he didn't like certain films that we may love now he always had a pretty fascinating reason. So just a side note on film criticism. If you think Ebert's just an overrated, pretentious snob of a critic, you should reevaluate and definitely look at some of his takes because he's pretty ahead of his time, especially on Silence of the Lambs. Yes. Anyways, all that to say, fuck you, Roland Emmerich, team Ebert and Siskel all the way. I'm pretty sure both Siskel and Ebert have a respect for the original Japanese franchise as well. So that was another reason I'm pretty sure they also hated the movie, too. Oh, 100%. I guarantee it. One thing we just haven't legit not talked about yet is Godzilla's design. I just realized that. Sure. So what are your thoughts on it? So this is at 1998. This is the most radical redesign they've ever done for Godzilla done by a person named Patrick Totopoulos, which is where I believe they got the name for Matthew Broderick's character. Yes. And when they brought it to Toho... Apparently, it was the most awkward meeting of all time because, like, they revealed it to Toho and the executives were shocked and quiet for, like, 15 minutes and were like, can we get back to you? <laughs> and apparently, Toho was like, there's so much that needs to get changed that we can't say one one little thing here and one little thing there. Because, so we all know, we've been making fun of how chonky Godzilla is throughout this entire franchise. Thick-ass boy. Yeah, he's a thick-ass boy. What do they do? Give him chicken legs. Make him tiny. Make him very much a lizard, which I'm okay with that. I'm mm -hmm. definitely fine with them giving him more lizard attributes and everything. Sure. But he doesn't look or feel or act like Godzilla, and that's one of the worst parts. Yeah, and it's strange, too, because 
I feel like, well, again, part of it, I feel like it's just very much stuck in the late 90s where like it was cool to make everything sleeker and smaller. And I, I think this Godzilla design was very much a product of that. I think the design on its own is not terrible. It's just not really Godzilla. I think it's as we see in, in Final Wars, while I'm not a fan of that movie, one scene I did love was watching Godzilla whoop this version's ass. And the reason I like that is not just because it's uh, cathartic for all Godzilla fans everywhere, but also I think he makes a, like this version of Godzilla actually makes a decent creature. I just don't want them being the Godzilla of the movie. So I think like having regular Godzilla fight this Godzilla is actually a cool concept anyways. Like I would totally see that movie, you know? Again, I don't think the design's the end of the world because like I said, you told me that the animated series was really good. And I think part of that is because they just realized that like, you know, Godzilla is more than a look. It's you have to treat it with the respect of the franchise. And you can do that while having a new design. I actually absolutely think there's room for new interpretations and radical changes. But I think you know, without sort of just completely just robbing the original design and and feeding off nostalgia, I would prefer radical new takes. But the problem is when those takes are not in the spirit of the franchise and more in the spirit of just trying to do something you think will make money and then riding off the name, which I think is what more what this movie does, which is very frustrating. So to harp on the uh, animated series, TriStar, after this movie bombed, had put out I believe I was actually not too far after the movie came out, but the movie obviously bombed critically. It has a friggin' 15% on Rotten Tomatoes, where it deserves. So the animated series came out shortly after the movie, and they treated Godzilla like Godzilla in the animated series. He felt like God- he had an atomic breath. He just acted like Godzilla. He fought other monsters. It That was very much in the spirit of... They even had him go to Tokyo in one episode, so it was very much in the spirit of... Godzilla where this one yeah it's a cool creature design but this movie almost feels like it wants to pay more homage to American cinema than you know Japan because a lot of fans have uh, talked about how this feels more like a remake of the beast from 20,000 fathoms Hmm. which is um, shockingly a movie that that helped lead to the creation of Godzilla it was about cool yeah it was about a monster that got woken up from nuclear testing and went on a rampage in new york so Hmm. where does that sound from it that's yeah it came out one year before the original godzilla i had no idea that sounds really cool i need to see this is it decent do you like it yeah it's uh warner brothers released it so it's actually got a nice blu-ray cool cool i'll have to check that out yeah i think and and Like you said, when you brought up the atomic breath, right, in the animated series, that's a weird thing that they chose to omit here. Because, again, it's just kind of like they took out things they didn't really need to. And, again, if you were trying to please Godzilla fans, like those are the moments, you know, I mean, I'm not about cheap fan service, but it's like I am about seeing the things that make the character the character. And atomic breath is one of those. And, yeah, if you sit there and you cannot find a unique creative way to do it then I understand maybe saying, Hey, I don't think we'll be able to do this justice. And I don't want to, you know, tarnish the reputation of the character at all. Um, Which, you know, as we know, that ship had sailed with this movie anyways, but you know, if that was your reasoning, sure. Maybe, maybe don't bother if you don't think you can do it justice, but they probably could have, they probably could have come up with something for the atomic breath. And they, again, they just don't bother to. And 
it, you know, it almost feels like it was never in the writing room. And, and there's so many things like that, that you feel like they never even discussed trying to do justice or do honor to uh, the franchise. And it's just very disappointing, especially considering Godzilla is such a labor of love for so many people. Oh yeah, definitely. And so he does kind of have an atomic breath that he uses twice in this movie. He kind of breathes and there's fire at one point or two points, I should say. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, but you with- never really see the fire coming out godzilla's mouth so it's just like he's kind of like ah so it's like a really hot burp yeah basically he's got hot burps yeah so that's what you come up with yeah that's why everyone was so happy with the animated series is he had his atomic breath and Mm -hmm. again he just acted like godzilla and one thing that you know you fucked up when ken pachiro satsuma walked out of this movie he was the one who played Godzilla for the Heisei era. And he was just like, that's not Godzilla. You know you fucked up when fucking <laughs> they walk out of the movie. Which, if I haven't mentioned already, watching this series so far, he is my favorite suit actor, for sure. Oh, yeah, definitely. I love Kenichiro. So, I love them all dearly, but him especially did such a good yeah. job. Yeah, yeah, this movie is just really disappointing. And I can't imagine being... I really would have, I mean, I'm glad I didn't have to, but I I would have been curious to see watching this film through the lens of being a Godzilla fan in advance for the first time. I I can't imagine, you know, I mean, that's kind of what it felt like here, but yeah, I don't know. we've, We've dealt with some bad Godzilla movies throughout this, but this one just feels like it didn't belong. You know, that was the thing is it, it not only felt like a bad movie, but it felt like a movie that I'm just like, why are we even watching this? Like, this doesn't even feel like an interpretation of this character. Some people like Roland Emmerich's movies. I get it. People like disaster movies. And that's kind of his his thing, his niche. But yeah, he does it in such a weird, corny way that I just you're taking like one of the most serious things, which is like disaster movies are exhilarating enough on their own. And then he's trying to make them fun. But they're never like fun in a clever way. They're always in like that Michael Bay way where it's like, Hey, do you get it? It's a joke. Do you do you get do you get that uh this this person said that like about this woman because it's a joke because she's a woman and you're just like what? And he's like, yeah, this character's misogynistic. And you're like, is that supposed to be a joke? What's what's happening? It's just shit like that in his movies that I just I don't have the patience for. And it almost feels like his movies are made for children, but are also about like these big thematic elements that would feel too scary for children. So it's just kind of like, who are you making these movies for? Um. Now let's talk about the uh, the cartoon elephant in the room, huh? Which is all the Simpsons actors in this, weirdly. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Why <laughs> is it like a reunion for all the Simpsons? Nancy Cartwright, Hank Azaria. I just know him as Chief Wiggums. I don't know the actual actor's name. <laughs> yeah, I feel, I feel bad. I forget his name, too. But yeah, three of them. And I, I guess they just wanted to make this movie as 90s as possible. So what better way than to have the animation phenomenon take over this i mean it must have been someone in the the studio or like they must have pulled somehow from that pool of or was it um this wasn't released by fox was it don't sony and tristar okay that's right weird yeah i don't know so yeah they're in it and i will say i will stand by to this day i think the one performance in this movie the one actor that leaves completely unscathed and is like genuinely really good and makes their best of the material is Hank Azaria. Oh, oh, hell yeah. I was going to mention Hank Azaria. I was like, why was he the only good human character in this entire movie? Hank Azaria rules in this movie. And I don't think it's just because 
I don't think he was like a well-written character. I just think Hank Azaria playing that character is great. And I, I, I love him. I think he like nails comedy. I loved him in Mystery Men where he's the, uh, have you seen Mystery Men? No, I haven't. Oh, we got to, that, that, that might be an upcoming podcast just for shits and giggles. That's a fun movie to have some beers and, and watch too. But he basically plays right. a, a superhero where he, uh, he throws like forks and knives and makes cutlery related puns. And it's as awesome as it sounds. But yeah, he he always just commits 100% to whatever he's doing. He always takes the material very seriously. Like you feel like he's not making fun of it, but you also feel like he's not taking it too seriously either. And like he's not, he doesn't feel like he's trying to force himself into the material. He just sounds like he's making the material his own. And I think that's why he works so well here. Whereas I feel like Matthew Broderick actually tried to understand what this movie was doing and maybe couldn't really figure it out. And so you just end up with him being stuck in the middle, whereas Hank Azaria was like, well, this is probably going to be a fucking mess, but let's do it. Let's have fun. And I feel like if everyone had that mindset, maybe this would be a better movie. I mean, you could argue that maybe Jean Renault felt that way too, but his material is so cringy that I don't think there's a way you salvage that character. Oh yeah, definitely. One of my favorite scenes that Hank Azaria did is when Godzilla almost steps on him. I thought that was a great scene. Yeah. I would argue that like when I think of this movie, I think of that scene and Oh, definitely. You could argue that it's somewhat iconic. And as much as I hate to say that there's an iconic movie scene in this, but it's, it's strictly entirely because of Hank Azaria. Like there's no other reason it has nothing to do with the the spectacle and like the, the budget effects. It's, it's just literally Hank Azaria is just fun as fuck to watch in this movie. Oh, definitely. And so just thinking of that scene to go back to what you said about this being a disaster movie, I realized something New York is barely destroyed in this movie. Like there is no like monster destruction. Well, it's because you got a tiny iguana running around with, hot burps instead of a giant lizard walking lizard with atomic breath you know like it i mean godzilla is borderline a dragon that can't fly whereas like this is literally a giant lizard but like not that giant so it's oh just, definitely and it's, it's like I a think, big newt i think there was one criticism toho brought up with them was why was godzilla scared of the military when he survived a nuclear blast I don't know. No one, no one knows. No one understands these things. See, yeah. It's just like this kind of thinking. It's just going to give you a headache when you try and watch this movie. Cause you're just like everything that the Toho films established with Godzilla was thrown out the window when it came to this movie. Yeah. It's, I really don't know where their head was at <laughs> making this oh. As- aside from that's a lot of tuna. No, that's a lot of fish. A lot of fish. Well, the, yep. <laughs> there's something about tuna in this, right? Oh, yeah. No, no. They, uh, the tuna reference is from Toho because they call him Tuna Head in uh, Final Wars. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's... And the one thing we never discussed is, so far is Toho, you know, as we've mentioned in their previous, their other movies, were so petty that when the rights reverted back to Toho, they renamed him Zilla. Mm-hmm. because they took the god out of Godzilla, and I just love that. They'll refer to the animated series Godzilla as Godzilla, but they won't refer to this as Godzilla. They refer to him as Zilla, and I love it. Oh, Toho, you catty bitch. I love yep. you so much. Yeah. 
there were planned sequels, two of them. It was going to be a trilogy, but because this one bombed at the box office and critically, it was like, yeah, no, we aren't going to head with those. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, but there were other iterations of the design here, right? No, at, so at no, well, not maybe for not for this movie. So this was not the first attempt TriStar had at making Godzilla. There was one in 1994 mm-hmm. from Terry Ruscio, I believe. Okay. It was going to be called like Godzilla versus the Griffin. And they gave him like Atlantean origins. Mm-hmm. And the design was very much Godzilla, just updated. And it was the uh, model was done by Stan Winston. Okay, I think that's what I'm thinking of because I yes, remember that would a, be a cool design from like some sort of conceptual tri-star thing that never happened. There's like videos discussing. I wish I had gone in a little more onto the 94 thing before I came into this podcast, but yeah, the, there was an original script and everything mm-hmm. that was all like paying homage to Godzilla. And the worst part is, is they were asking for a $120 million budget to make this and TriStar passed on it only to give that same budget or even a higher budget to Roland Emmerich. And it's just like, why? So did he, what did he, did he do, was Independence Day before this? Yes. Okay. So that's why he got the money. Yeah. I can imagine because Independence Day, as we know, even though critics and fans are split on it, it's definitely, definitely made money. (laughs) Oh yeah. That was like a summer blockbuster. If there was ever a summer blockbuster. I miss summer blockbusters. Same. Hey, we get a quote unquote summer blockbuster tomorrow. True. Spring blockbuster. Why not? Yep. Yeah. We're recording this today before Godzilla versus Kong comes out here in the States and we are both very excited. We are. So our recording order is going to be very Tarantino-like where we are going to be recording Godzilla vs. Kong before we do our special Kong episode, but they'll be yep. released in the opposite order um, just to kind of keep with continuity and make you guys wait for our reaction to Godzilla vs. Kong because we're a bunch of dickheads. Oh, yeah, definitely. <laughs> hey, we got to keep in line. Godzilla's a dickhead himself, so it's only natural. It's only fitting. Exactly. Yeah. So the train of thought I had earlier came back to me. Mm-hmm. So I believe it was right before the pandemic struck. Toho made the zip, this huge zipline attraction. And I believe it's actually in Okinawa. Hey, editor Josh here. So I was completely off on the location for the zipline. It's actually in Nijigen Nomori Park on Awaji Island, where you can zipline through Godzilla's mouth. Well, Shin Godzilla, I should say. And I believe it was at this location they had a huge wall of posters for the Godzilla franchise showing every film Godzilla's been in what was the one poster missing Godzilla 98 what post what posters were included the monster verse so that just shows you that over 20 years later Toho is still a salty bitch about these movies and I applaud them for it fucking good fucking good yeah um it's it's weird, too, because I, I, I did kind of want to go in when we first watched this. I remember going in with the mindset of I'm just going to watch it like it's a movie. I'm going to watch it like it's a dumb 90s blockbuster and not really think about it along the terms of a being a Godzilla movie, because I knew it was going to fail in that regard. So I was like, well, let's just look at it as a normal movie. And it still doesn't work as a normal movie because it's just not fun. It it lasts way too long. The we haven't even talked about the horrible, 
horrible romantic arc in this film where the actors have zero chemistry and yeah i just man was audrey well that was my favorite right is, is audrey like this whole romance sparks because audrey sees that stud matthew broderick on tv a couple times talking about talking about worms and they apparently had like a they had a thing right previously or something yeah, they're supposed to be like either college sweethearts or high school sweethearts it's one of the two yeah, and they do this dumb thing where, like, everywhere, because, you know, back in the 90s, there was a TV screen everywhere, you know, pizza places, whatever. You had, like, a little t- one of those little TVs people would have in their kitchen and stuff. I mean, you still see that sometimes now, but that was a big thing back then. And everywhere she goes, she's just always in a place where there's, like, a TV conveniently with Matthew Broderick's face on it. And I think there's two separate scenes where she just kind of turns away and just sort of fawns at the TV looking at him. And they play the stupid, like, corny-ass music. And I'm like, guys, this isn't fucking Gone with the Wind. Like, what is this? Yeah, one thing that made me laugh. So when we were first discussing Afuka Bay's music after we had, you know, we're slowly getting west into the Godzilla fandom, he, we had talked about how Afuka Bay uses music to enhance a scene but knows when not to play music and how in Hollywood, they'll like, if you want to feel, you know, have a scene feel romantic, you'll automatically play like these sweet violins and just kind of use the music like that. So what happens instantly when she starts having romantic feelings about Matthew Broderick, they start playing those romantic violins. And it's just like, it's the most generic. None of the music stood out to me. I don't remember any of it. I just remember how like, same. Yeah. Yeah. The music just, just not does not stick. And of course, you know, thank God they didn't use the Afuka Bay Godzilla theme. I would have, yeah, I would have lost my head if they had touched Afuka Bay's music. Yeah, that would have been a problem. There would have been riots in the streets. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I just imagine the like, bah, 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 and someone just comes in and goes, don't you do it. Don't you fucking do it. Yep. You're not worthy. Nope. Um, yeah, no, this, this movie, I mean how I feel about the music just sums up the whole movie is that I, I just, aside from certain scenes with Hank Azaria and certain remembering certain things for bad reasons, there's very few memorable moments about this movie. There's very few like takeaways of like, Oh, at least that was good. It's, it's just mostly all crap and <laughs> it's really disappointing. Again, aside from like a couple cool shots, like I do like the scene where, the old man's fishing on the dock and then the you kind of see godzilla's dorsal fins like poke up through the water and you see this like lump just of water just coming at the dock and then he starts running away and it's just smashing the dock as it keeps going that's a pretty cool shot i i don't hate on that that's fine yeah no that that was cool godzilla's introduction was pretty decent in this one not gonna yeah. lie you get a couple close-up shots of like an eye poking through or like a foot coming around that are that are fine um but yeah it's when you see I, I i think when you see the creature as a whole in comparison it just looks so small and it's just not yeah and then i mean we haven't even gotten into the fucking shameless robbery of jurassic park motifs at the end with the little baby godzillas running around and i genuinely forgot about this part of the movie <laughs> well that was the part where we were drunk that was the part oh we were, yep we were, yeah, we were definitely drunk <laughs> yeah and and not watching the movie at all but yeah which uh, honestly again i'm all about respecting the process i'm all about you know paying attention even if i don't like a movie i mean i paid attention to every minute of 
final wars for god's sakes so this one though i i i, I just couldn't do it <laughs> i got to a point where i was like nope because this is like as long as final wars and like this is like, longer than final wars longer than final wars and yeah and there's less as much as final wars annoyed the shit out of me uh there's less redeemable qualities here so it's it's just really hard set and final wars had fucking minya in it and we all know how i feel about minya yep that rat bastard um, yeah so this was not a fun or enjoyable experience i'm the only thing i'm glad i got to experience was being reminded that hank azaria is an american treasure and this is you should just watch the simpsons instead honestly you should just just watch if you think you're gonna give this movie a try just take the best you can get the best parts of it and better content by watching just the simpsons just rewatch the simpsons it's on disney plus rewatch the animated series too you can find it at walmart for like 10 bucks yeah i i want to see it actually after you've been telling me about it i'm really curious yeah it's just a saturday morning cartoon that just paid way more respect to Godzilla than a fucking big budget American TV, you know, American movie. Works for me. Yep. All right, man. Um, you let's talk to, uh, about one that actually paid respect to Godzilla. Yeah. Let's talk about an actual movie. Um, yeah. Josh, you want to, you want to lead us into Godzilla 2014? Hell yeah. All right. So Godzilla 2014, the second Hollywood produced Godzilla film ever. Godzilla attempts to be a more fateful adaptation of the franchise than TriStar's previous attempt. A mine collapses in the Philippines in 1999, which leads to the uncovering of two prehistoric spores within a colossal skeleton, one of which hatches into a muto that attacks and feeds on a nuclear reactor at the Janjira nuclear power plant in Japan. The scientific organization Monarch quarantines the plant in the surrounding city, but in 2014, the MUTO emerges from the stasis and destroys the facility surrounding it. Now, Monarch pursues the MUTO with the U.S. military, while the MUTO's natural enemy, the giant prehistoric titan known as Godzilla, emerges to stop it before it can reunite with its female companion and reproduce. All right, so this was the first Godzilla movie I ever got to see in theaters. So this was a huge moment in my life. I missed. I didn't think about that. Yeah. So I was born in 97. So I was way too young for 98. Sure. I I think I was only a couple months old at that point too. 2000. I was only like three when it came out. That was also the last Godzilla movie to be in the States till this one. So I had never gotten a chance to see a Godzilla movie in theaters. So God, how old was I in that? I don't know. I was a teenager at this point and I was beyond hyped. I was following the pre-production of this movie. I was just like, oh my God, a huge Hollywood blockbuster on Godzilla, finally. And I I just remember being ecstatic for this movie. I saw it three times in theaters, once in regular theaters, and I saw it in IMAX, which was awesome. That was, I believe, my first IMAX theater going as well. And then I saw it with my brother, which I'm dragging him to Godzilla versus Kong. Fuck yeah. Yeah, so this movie, it, to be honest, I loved it. And I still love it to this day. I have a few issues with it, which I'll get into in a few moments. But the fact that Legendary went out of their way to be as faithful as they could just made me fall in love with Legendary Pictures. They just, they knew what they were doing. And they, yeah, I just... 
this whole movie just brings back ways of nostalgia because I remember skipping school to go see this. I was this was an event for me. This was the first time again in 16 years, I want to say a American blockbuster was attempted for Godzilla and the fact legendary you know, was the one doing it. I was just like, I only knew Legendary for a handful of movies like The Hangover and a couple others. I, they did the Dark Knight trilogy as well. So I, I just knew him for those. And I was just like, hmm. And when I saw this, I was just, yeah, I, I'm going to sound like a broken record, but the amount of love that they put into this, I was just, yeah. Wes, your thoughts? <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I actually, I'm thinking about it. Yeah, it's my, it's my first theatrical experience with Godzilla movie as well. And... I remember being really hyped for this because again, so at this point I had seen the original love the original and really, I think that was, that was it. And then like final wars when we watched it when we were younger, but yeah, I think that's all the Godzilla I had seen. So I was pretty hyped for this and I remember loving the tone they were going for and the visuals just look so incredible. And the sort of dark underlit atmosphere really reminded me, uh, you know, it kind of harkened back to the 1954 original. And I was just so excited to see something that paid tribute to that tone. And this definitely does while also being its own thing. It doesn't feel like it's trying to be a remake either, which I really appreciate. Like you said, it does have some issues, but I think I'm probably about where you are with this one. I, I really love it. Certain aspects of it, especially. I think the aspects I like are so good that I'm able to forgive a lot because there, there is... I guess there's more than a few things here that bother me about it, but I think overall, if those things were fixed, I mean, I, it'd be a near perfect movie because there's really, there's really probably two major things that I, I think needed uh, adjusting. But aside from that, yeah, this, this film's great and very much in the spirit of the original. I think it's, we'll talk about it right up front. The biggest thing that you either will love or hate about this film is the decision to, make Godzilla something worth waiting for. You do not get him right and left. You don't get him off it. But when you get him, you really get him. Now, if those moments don't pay off for you, then this movie's not going to work. However, for me, the buildup watching this thing and getting to see the little bits of him and all of those moments where you see a foot or a tail or just his face through the fog were so good and enough to keep me going that when we finally get to the third act, I was all in and I love those moments so much. And to me, it's some of the most iconic Godzilla action. I, even after seeing all the Japanese films, I will say it's up there with the best of the, of the Godzilla action. I think it's incredible. I think it's incredibly well shot. Gareth Edwards chooses to helm this thing in a way that makes it feel like almost documentary style at points. Like we get to really see it from the perspective of what humans would see, which I love, I think is such a genius way of going about it. And I think really we, we've talked about how Godzilla movies in the past have had trouble with scale. And this movie definitely doesn't. This movie makes Godzilla feel fucking massive. And it helps that this is one of the bigger versions of Godzilla. However, the way he shoots it just doubles down on that. They're incredible shots, which we'll get into specifically later on that I'm just, I, I still have burned into my head that I, I just, I love so much. And yeah, this is a thoroughly enjoyable film. I think if you are someone who wants a lot of Godzilla in your Godzilla movie, you're going to be somewhat disappointed. And I think it's really going to ride on whether or not the end makes it worth it for you or not. For me, it does. 
as a fan, all my nitpicks are purely just fan motivated. Like, I wish they left in the scene with Akira Takarada, which cutting it didn't really affect the movie. I didn't I didn't realize he was actually he was in a cut scene. Yeah, it was when Aaron Taylor Johnson gets to Tokyo mm-hmm. when he's at the airport. Sure. Um, Takarada plays a character, you know, like basically the one who, you know, check you in, make sure, you know, your mm-hmm. passport's all set, stamp it, call it good. That was supposed to be his scene, but wow. they cut it just to, you know, keep the flow of the movie going. And it's just like, I get the reason for cutting it, but it's also kind of a fuck you. That, that, that felt like kind of a fuck you to the fans. The fact that, you know, they actually you know took pictures on set. You know, it's all filmed. And the fact that it wasn't included as a deleted scene on the Blu-ray is also kind of a that shame. Sucks. That sucks. Yeah. That's yeah. Yeah, salt on the wound. Because cutting it's one thing because you never know whose decision it was to cut it. You exactly. Know? Um, but yeah, that's that sucks. Yeah, so it would have been cool to at least have it on the Blu-ray. But alas, we'll get into the whole Warner Brothers treatment of the Blu-ray at the end, but yeah, so the cut of Akira Takarada's scene, and I just wish we had gotten maybe a little bit more of a glimpse of the airport fight, and I would have been 100% satisfied. I mean, because that buildup and leading to the airport scene is by far one of the most iconic and one of the best Godzilla scenes in the entire franchise. That is so well done that it does feel like such a tease that we don't get to see much except <laughs> for a couple shots on you know, the news and everything when we cut to uh, Elizabeth Olsen, you know, L Brody yeah, and her son and everything. My big complaints with it are, are more, are less fan motivated and more film motivated. I think the biggest issue here is if you're going to have such a small amount of Godzilla in your film, you need a really compelling main character. And unfortunately they don't have that here. And I, a lot of people want to blame Aaron Taylor Johnson. I don't think it's his fault. I think he's actually an incredible actor and can do some really dynamic, unique stuff. Um, uh, he is. If you check out, if you haven't seen Nocturnal Animals, oh, he will send shivers down your spine. He does in that movie what I think like all the creepy characters Jared Leto tries to play. <laughs> it's like, this is like a good version of a Jared Leto character. But yeah, no, he, Aaron Taylor Johnson's amazing. And I really... I really think this just wasn't enough to do him justice as an actor. There's just not enough on paper with this character. I think the film's biggest mistake is writing Brian Cranston out of the film at all. Brian Cranston. So he plays the father. His performance in this is amazing. And it's kind of one of those things. I think people take it for granted because he's such a like, you know, you come to expect it, you know, it's like the Meryl Streep effect where you're like, yeah, she's always good, you know, whereas like with her, she's given an Oscar every year. But like with Brian Cranston, it's like we almost like overlook it because he's so good all the time. But you watch this performance and you're like, oh, my fucking God, especially with the like performances around him, like there's some decent ones, but nothing like what he's doing. He's on a whole other fucking planet in this movie. And taking him out was completely silly. I think a more compelling arc is if he, if something happened to his son, right? Like his son was sent by the military to stop Godzilla before they know what the threat of Godzilla is. And Brian Cranston has to choose somehow between his work and saving his son. And with his desperation of not wanting to lose another family member, 
I think it would have been more interesting to follow Brian Cranston or possibly kill off Aaron Taylor Johnson's character and have Brian Cranston feel that guilt and then not focus on his work anymore and his arc be to go save Aaron Taylor Johnson's family. Having him and then you have the same type of arc you had here, right? Where instead of Aaron Taylor Johnson, who's a trained military guy, instead of having him run around trying to find his family... Now you have Brian Cranston trying to redeem himself for, you know, feeling like he has done his family wrong by letting them die. And now he has to save his son's family. There's something symbolic in there and you don't have to do a lot of extra storytelling to really have that hit home emotionally. Like something along those lines to essentially just write Brian Cranston in as the main character. We also never really get to follow an older character in action. So like having him run around as buildings are falling and stuff would be far more incredible. And I think he'd make it far more compelling being that he's not a sort of action hero, but he's sort of forcing himself to do this stuff. It would have made the survival elements, I think a little more interesting and just more compelling. I, I think that's probably this movie's biggest sin. Aside from that, I think, you know, aside from their main character problem, I, I think this is really incredible. And yeah, I mean, you talk about, that that one airport shot you're you know that's in that scene you're talking about with the the you see the the muto who are the uh the other creatures here you see the muto through the the giant glass wall essentially in the airport you see that on one side and then you get this massive panning shot over and just godzilla's foot just slammed down is is one of the coolest things i've ever seen in my entire life you have the flares the scene where the flares reveal Godzilla as they're just falling through frame and we just sort of see through the fog we see like scales and it's just so horrifying and so cool but yeah there's a little I could go on for days about the cinematography here I just think it's really incredible work by Gareth Edwards and company just really bring Godzilla to life I do agree that I feel like while I'm, I'm very pro the decision of teasing out Godzilla throughout the film it is sort of obnoxious that like they build up a, a straight up fight and then cut to the end of it on a TV. <laughs> You're just kind of like, why would you do that to us? Just either don't tease a fight or show at least a little bit of it. So, yeah, killing off Brian Cranston, the airport scene, cutting Akira Takarada out of the movie. Those were like my three biggest complaints I had with the movie. And for me, it wasn't enough to kill my enjoyment. But every time I watch it, I have that in like the back of my head. I still think they did an amazing job with this film. Like like you were saying, the cinematography alone is just beautiful. This whole movie is just beautiful. It really, I was, so it's been probably well over a year since I last watched this movie. I, hell, I think it's been almost two years at this point since I last watched this one. Because of course, you know, I had to watch it up, you know, and lead up to King of the Monsters because that's a direct sequel. So yeah, it'd been close to two years since I had last watched this and I was utterly shocked at how good this was. I was like, damn, I don't remember it like being this good, but I was, it held up really well. And I think some of my favorite scenes in this movie would be like when Godzilla was fighting the Muto at the end, like you were saying, there were some iconic shots and there's this one shot where it's right before he kills off the male Muto, the flying one. Like it's kind of like on Godzilla's back and he bites it by the wing and whips it around and it you know it flies off and it's right it's just like the way that was shot it was like above Godzilla's shoulder almost like on a building or maybe like a helicopter was shooting it because one thing Gareth Edwards did for scaling was he wanted to make sure all the shots could be captured 
by an actual human. He didn't want to have any weird, you know, like there could never have been a camera there in real life. So that was one thing that was amazing that Gareth really understood how to shoot the scale, which he did an amazing job in Rogue One, even though that mainly got redone by Tony Gilroy, I think. But in Rogue One, he did an excellent job showing off scale. So it's just, I'm glad he knows how to capture that. And he used it perfectly in this one. You can definitely see the Edwards parts in Rogue One. Like you, you, the Edwards definitely shows through in that, I think, you know, maybe not his whole vision of that movie, but I think it goes to show that he, he is a pretty strong voice as a filmmaker, um, that even a film that was kind of, you know, cut up a little bit after he touched it definitely still very much has his fingerprints on it. Yeah, definitely. And I love Ken Watanabe in this movie. I'm so glad. I wish they had done more with his character. Cause, He's so good. He's so good. Yeah. And I loved him in King of the Monsters. So I kind of wish he would almost been the main character for this movie as well. Because it would have been cool. Especially, you know, it's a Japanese property. So it would have been nice to have a Japanese actor as the lead. Or if we could just know. have it be a buddy cop movie with... Ken Watanabe and Brian Cranston. Oh my God, that would have been amazing. Because <laughs> that's one regret I kind of have with them killing off Brian Cranston. It was, it would have been awesome to have him, you know, continue working for Monarch after the events of this movie. Sure. Because, you know, with Brian Cranston's character, he discovers the Muto and because it attacks the nuclear power plant he's working at. So he's the one who's like, guys, this is a monster you know there's something causing this and so throughout the movie he's you know trying to prove that you know this was a monster doing this and monarch obviously already knows this and so it shocks ken watanabe who plays dr sarazawa good callback to the original right there and so it's almost like he wants to have him work for him but they kill his character off like shortly after he meets ken watanabe and it's just like god damn it (laughs) so it would have been cool to have brian cranston you know working at monarch because I think I mentioned this in our Heisei review, but I believe Monarch is basically the modern version of the G-Force, or at least a more scientific version of the G-Force. And I'm so glad that this has been like the main connective thread throughout the MonsterVerse. Yeah, Monarch's cool. And one thing that's really interesting was this was supposed to be, you know, the setup of a trilogy of films directed by Gareth Edwards, which he ended up leaving, sadly, in 2016, which sucks. Wow, I, I, think- I had no idea they were planning a trilogy. Yeah. Well, I mean, we're still technically getting a trilogy with this King of the Monsters and Godzilla versus Kong. That's true. I guess I knew they were planning a trilogy. I didn't know they were planning on having him run the whole thing. That was originally going to happen. And then in 2014, because this was a financial success, it got, you know, got King of the Monsters greenlit opening weekend. It had rave reviews. Yeah, this movie made half a billion dollars at the box office, and it's also what inspired Toho to go back to making Godzilla movies. So that's another amazing thing. And this time, not out of spite because of 98, but out of inspiration in the franchise and getting people kind of restoking those fires. Exactly. Toho was just Toho loved this. Okay, I don't know if love is the correct word, but they appreciated this. They they saw that the franchise was being treated with respect. Mm -hmm. There was supposed to be a Godzilla trilogy directed by Gareth Edwards at one point. But back to what I was saying in 2014, Legendary and Warner got the rights to Kong. And they were going to do, I believe it was originally intended to be a sequel, maybe a prequel to Peter Jackson's King Kong. Okay. So that would have been interesting because it was still a proof of concept at that point. Yeah. But in 2015 is when they announced that, you know what? We have Godzilla. We have Kong. 
let's bring them together again. So in 2015 is when, so a year after this movie came out, they announced that they're going to combine the universes to make the monster versus we know it as today, which is a billion dollar franchise, baby, which is so awesome. And yeah, next to next to Marvel, I mean, it's the most successful, which is crazy to think that this is in second place right now, but it's pretty much the second most successful shared universe because I mean, yeah, DC's had so many rocky ups and downs and so many things have tried it. (laughs) You know, God bless them for trying the whole dark universe thing. (laughs) Oh, oh, yeah. The universal monsters. Yeah. One movie and that's it. See, with this one. They weren't aiming for a franchise, or well, they were aiming for a franchise, but they weren't yeah. aiming for a cinematic universe. They were like, let's just make one solid movie and that's it. But you in know? that, yeah, in that, you create an interest for it, right? Because you have exactly, yeah, everyone's like, oh, well, well, now we want to see a Kong movie and now we want to see Godzilla and Kong fight. And I think you're totally at the point where you could have a successful American like Mothra movie, I think if done right and given to the right hands. And and the fact that we're even in a place where that's a realistic idea is really cool and crazy. Exactly. So, because this movie, when you watch it, it is set up as a standalone. Like it starts and ends. There's no sequel set up. There's no post credit scene. It's just, I also just love the ending where Godzilla wakes up from his battle with the Mutos, basically stretches and just walks back in the water and and that's it. It's just such a just great classic, way to end it. Classic Godzilla. Exactly. You know, he defeats the enemy, tells everyone to go fuck themselves, goes back to doing his own thing. Yep. And that's perfect. I think a cool thing this is this movie tried to do, kind of going back to the human characters, because I think that's that's something that a lot of especially American interpretations of this character struggle with is making compelling human stories. And I think one thing that they tried to do with Aaron Taylor Johnson's character that I at least appreciate is there's a lot of scenes where he feels kind of bonded with Godzilla a little bit. Like there's the scene where he's sort of, I think like him and Godzilla are both wounded at one point or something. Right. And they see each other like on an abandoned street and they just yeah, sort of like yeah. shared, shared glances. And that was really cool. And I kind of liked where they, where they went there. I wish that there was, maybe there was more behind it, but I wish that if there was a metaphor there, it was more clear, but I really like the idea of those parallel stories. And, and again, some of the most compelling relationships are a human with Godzilla. I think a lot of people forget to do that. You know, they just, they separate the monster and human element so much, but I think kind of bringing them together, it was a, it was a pretty artsy choice. And I, I liked that. I was, I was a fan of that because even though Aaron Taylor, Taylor Johnson wasn't always the most compelling character to watch those moments, I think were, were pretty, pretty cool. And at least it created an interest for what that could have been if they had explored it a little more, but it, it's at least a little nice touch that gives the movie a little more character, especially while you're waiting around for the good stuff. Speaking of the good stuff, man. Yeah. Like, like I said, that fight pays off so well. Let's talk about the atomic breath in here because I got chills when I first saw this in theaters. I oh, don't know about you? So I was with my dad when we first saw this, cause he was the one who took me to the movie theaters and sure. I didn't know the atomic breath was going to happen because the first American movie didn't do it obviously. So I'm just like, please don't do that for this one. And then after Ford Brody blows up the nest and the mother Muto is like, Oh no, my babies. 
Godzilla, you know, he's off fighting the male Muto, but then you just see the blue go doom, doom, and it just slowly starts at the tip of his tail and works its way up to his bot, you know, up the to scales, his the bed. scales illum- illuminate like one by one. And yep. yeah, the sound design is just incredible. That little doom, 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 and it like the little humming. And it's oh man, yeah, absolute yep. and chills. Then, yeah, and then he like breathes in and then boom, atomic breath. And I was freak i was like hit it's like hitting my he's like doing he's doing the thing he's doing the thing oh yeah and oh my god i was freaking out when i saw it in theaters probably annoyed everyone in the theater but hey it's godzilla baby <laughs> I, I think i saw it i want to say i saw it like opening weekend or maybe the weekend after but it was like when the theater was still pretty packed and people cheered i mean people were it, it, that, that was part of what made the theater experience so good was there were a lot of people there who were you know and you know the people that are seeing that opening weekend they don't just want a blockbuster they want a Godzilla movie and and that was the moment that I think really won a lot of people over it was so fucking good but yeah that was when I was like man I'll I would have waited another half hour for this shit whatever fine like this is amazing and yeah the two both of the takedowns of the Mutos were really good because he like absolutely just like bitch slaps one of them with his tail into a building which was so oh my cool. god i've never so, seen the tail slap used in like that aggressive and like just <laughs> forceful of a way it was so cool so my dad is the reason i'm a godzilla fan to this day and whenever i would rewatch this movie he would always be like yo let me know when that tail slap scene's gonna happen because he he just absolutely adored watching godzilla just wreck it i imagine he and, probably didn't say yo <laughs> but yeah i just picture dad going yo hit me with that tail slap <laughs> it would not happen <laughs> okay he wouldn't use those exact words okay but yeah he would always love it to you know he really liked this one a lot so that was awesome and it was yeah. really cool that this was a movie that him and i got to go see together cool. and um it was that scene he really loved and you know we got to talk about the kiss of death so <laughs> yeah fuck yeah so what happens is female muto is the last one alive and it's gonna go kill for brody because he's got the nuke and he was also the reason she has no more babies and so she's about to kill him and then she just lets out this pained screech and we're all like what and it camera pans out a little and we see godzilla's right behind her you know biting her pulls her back and then starts doing King Kong's finisher, which I'm like, whoa, he's going to, Godzilla's going to pull a King Kong and break her jaw? Nope. Proceeds to breathe the atomic breath right down her throat. And that is one of the most satisfying scenes I have ever seen in the Godzilla franchise. And this, and this ain't some iguana hot burp. This is a straight up just full on beams right down the gullet. And it's fucking awesome. Yeah, it's that. Oh, man, that scene. The whole third act is just constant like... <laughs> homage and just giving the fans what they want and that that's that's fan service done well you know i think part of what this movie i mean like you said you you said your dad really loved this movie and i think part of that is like i feel like this is a movie that doesn't isolate like audiences of older films and i think it's very classically structured in that way like it it feels more like a jaws or something like that like kind of how blockbusters used to be because blockbusters now and we'll get into it i think the next film represents a little more of the modern idea of a blockbuster i'm sort of stuck in between what i like more because sure you get more of what you love from one angle but with this i i love this subdued approach of building up to these moments and then having them weigh 
way more, you know, just it's exponentially more satisfying when you get that sort of payoff that you've, that you've been wanting the whole time, you know, and it doesn't, you need a reason to, for that stuff to matter. And, and just kind of constant payoff doesn't feel like payoff anymore after a while, you know, after a certain point, it stops feeling satisfying and feel like a lot of Hollywood blockbusters fall into that trap. So I feel like this movie was a very classic callback to just being patient, making the viewer be patient and making you sort of, I love that the movie was forcing me to wait. And again, even though I feel like the Hawaii scene was more of a tease than anything, I do feel like that, that was the one where it didn't really work for me, but all the others were, were perfect and, and sort of doing what they were supposed to, which was make me want more. And by the time you can't think you want any more, they give you all of it. And I think that's that's how how you pay it off. And it also allows the movie to feel less like just a monster action movie and more like a thriller or suspense. You know, it, it kind of redefines what the film is. So I really appreciated that tone and just the classic feel of that. Yeah, I'm glad you brought up the Jaws thing because that, I believe that's what Gareth Edwards was really going for with this was that whole you know, slow burn type style and a connection I'm going to say right here, which I'll pay off more with when we talk King of the Monsters was this also almost has like an alien vibe, you know, with like Sigourney Weaver where it's all that very slow build up into, you know, very suspenseful kind of style and everything. And then has the big payoff at the end of the movie. And that'll make more sense for that connection when we get to King of the Monsters. But yeah, I just, Honestly, I wasn't bored when I was watching this. I was intrigued by the story. Like, I know that some of the human characters aren't the most, you know, extravagant and well-written characters, but they do a good job holding your interest through the story. And that's something that also should be, you know, well-respected is you don't always have to have, to me at least, you don't always have to have the, you know, Oscar-written characters, but just keep you interested make sure you're you know enthralled in the story and like they do a good job like trying to keep Godzilla as a you know nuclear metaphor I think less of a nuclear metaphor but they still keep that you know I love the whole rewriting of history where the whole Castle Bravo test and um the 1950s we weren't trying to test we were trying to kill Godzilla so that was a cool concept and everything so I'm glad they kept I like that too yeah I'm glad they like kept the 1954 as you know the year we discovered Godzilla and everything. And I just love the world building too. I love the whole, the monster versus not, not by bias or anything, but it, it's truly one of my favorite film universes. And I'm just glad it's gotten wackier and wackier with each release. Yeah. I'm glad they did some decent world world building and they kept, I kind of wish they'd done more with, you know, maybe snuck in a, a reporter in here just to keep it classic Godzilla. So you'd have like a reporter or a scientist in a, you know, the military. <laughs> Cause that's one thing I kind of disliked that modern Godzilla films did was they stuck more with military aspects. And it's just like, I get enough of that with my American films. I want, I want a little, a uh, little something different. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, in some ways, this was original, right? Because we had never really seen it from like a grunt soldier's perspective. It's always like a general or it, it's always some form of commander rather than um, someone in the on the front line. So th- so that was that was interesting. And yeah, or yeah, that- or the military is just a one unified entity that is just sort of fighting Godzilla, you know? Yeah, I mean, I'm 
it's still, this is an excellent way to introduce newbie fans to the Godzilla franchise. Definitely. This does an excellent job with that. Mm-hmm. It just, I don't know. There's so much personal bias with the franchise. Just like, I wish they'd done it this way and this way. But with the final product, I am still extremely happy with what we got. Because this is, because I had friends in high school. They're like, yo, what's this Godzilla like? I, we all know you love it so much. So it was really cool that I had friends who had no interest in the Suitmation Godzilla movies show genuine interest in this new American blockbuster. So it was nice that it also revitalized the franchise. It breathed because Godzilla had been on hiatus for 10 years, mm-hmm. you know, pre this movie and everything. Yeah. So we're in a Godzilla renaissance right now. And it's thanks to this movie. Another thing to point out, too, I mean, we haven't really talked about the design of Godzilla either. I think this was a perfect. So now that I've seen all the movies, I feel like this is a good combination of a lot of those. Like, I feel like it has the intimidation factor that you had with the very first movie, right? Like they and especially in the way that they shoot him. But also it has the animalistic kind of feel that you get out of like the Heisei era and there's just enough expression on his face, which is what we were talking about where, you know, in the millennium where we're like, oh man, we wish this was like a little more like, it's got the expression that you got there. And then the the even more like double down on the animalistic stuff that the millennium has, because there's times where he looks like a canine, right? Like he looks like a dog, like snarling. And I, I, I kind of like that. I think the design here was awesome. Nice chunky boy. And uh, yeah, he's, he's, he's fierce. He's intimidating, but he doesn't look evil either he just looks like a creature he, he looks very much like a natural creature but with just enough personality to make you relate to him and like him uh, i think they did an amazing job here with the effects i totally agree i had some complaints with the godzilla design not gonna lie because it's godzilla is my favorite character so you're, always... you're a godzilla design nazi exactly <laughs> and basically anything i had wrong with it they fixed with king of the monsters they gave him the more traditional spines in that one and for some reason we'll get there yeah yeah i absolutely just this was such a great way for them to bring in godzilla and one thing that's really interesting was they were using like bears and eagles to help kind of design the face which you can kind of see when you look at it yeah absolutely like i said it's very animalistic i like it a lot i i i personally so having like studied the differences between because i have looked at the designs pretty closely between these two films i respect this one on its own level i i do i do love the next one which we'll get to but i i i like this one a lot too and i think they're almost yeah they're just different enough and he looks even a little more different to me in godzilla versus kong so we'll we'll have to see i know you've probably studied that design a lot more than i have i'm still waiting to see the movie but yeah i'm, I'm curious to see how we feel about that one but yeah this this movie is just it, it definitely holds up i definitely still have the flaws i have with it but by the end i'm always left thinking like man i'm okay with those flaws you know this is still a great movie and i think the only reason i harp on that other stuff and i don't like to to pick out the negatives of things i think it's just because i do think this movie was really close to to being even more special personally for me. And uh, I think those things that make it just short from perfect, they just get me every time because I'm like, oh man, everything else hits on such a great level. But that's no disrespect to those things that do work really well and, and not to take away from those at all because they are still, I think, really well executed. And this is still a great way to honor the franchise as well as spark new interest for a whole new fan base. 
Hell yeah. And one thing I want to say is I'm glad they've had the same actor portray Godzilla um, throughout each of the MonsterVerse films. TJ Storm, uh, he did all the motion capture for Godzilla. And I'm really glad that, not 100% sure, I'm on his Wikipedia right now as we're recording, and it says he plays Godzilla in the next one. So hopefully he got the return for a third appearance. And he does a good job. He adds some... I don't know, he kind of pulls uh, Kenpachiro Satsuma and and doesn't do, like, the arm flailing and, like, Haru did. And it's realistic. He does a very, yeah, he does a great job as Godzilla, and I'm really happy that he plays him. Um, yeah, it's funny, too, because I think I subconsciously assumed that it was, a, it was motion capture, but I had never actually actively thought about the actor so that's really funny i'm glad it's the same guy yeah the movements are great i i love the way godzilla moves in these movies and i love the way he he looks and the mannerisms are a great combination of of like we said like that just human enough so that we can relate to him but not so that it takes you out of it definitely definitely i agree all right man um you got anything else to say on this one uh, no, because I have a lot of thoughts to say on the next one. I know I can I can feel you dying to talk about the next one. So, um, all right, well, uh, I'll I'll bring us into it. All right. So this one's called Godzilla: King of the Monsters. Picking up five years later, after Godzilla 2014, where many are in favor of exterminating Godzilla and all the other titans like him, the scientific organization Monarch, however, believes Godzilla and some other titans to be benevolent and is against killing them. When the eco-terrorist Alan Jonah and his men steal the Orca, a sonar device developed to communicate with Titans, Monarch pursues the terrorist to Outpost 32 in Antarctica, the resting place of the colossal Monster Zero. They are unable to stop Monster Zero from being unleashed, after which the three-headed terror awakens many of the other dormant Titans around the globe and bends them to his will. Now Monarch must work alongside Godzilla and his mystical ally Mothra to stop Monster Zero and his pawns before the entire global ecosystem is destroyed. Now, I have a very complicated relationship with this movie. (laughs) I have gone, of these films that I have seen, of the ones I have seen before this, this is the one where my opinions have varied on the spectrum. Uh, I've gone from, you know, uh, this movie is a complete and total mess with a lot of potential uh, to... This movie's an underrated gem and treasure and is the most faithful to, you know, or is the most uh, caring in how it treats these characters and respects the franchise. And at the end of the day, I think I feel like it's both. I think this is a beautiful mess. Um, this movie is, I, I really want to see, Pat. I want to love the things I love about it enough so that it doesn't hinder my viewing when I see the negative stuff, but I, the negative stuff really kills me. The stuff I don't like about this movie, I, I really don't like. And it's it's even more so than like with, with Godzilla 2014, where I'm like, yeah, there's a couple things that kind of annoy me here and, here and there. But overall, I really love this film. With this one, it's like, man, what a waste. Like some of these scenes, you know, some of these scenes, I'm like, fuck, this is so good. You were like 90% there and then you just, took a left turn that I did not like with it, or you like made some joke to undercut this epic moment. And it's so many, like it's just one too many stains on a really nice piece of clothing that I'm kind of like, I wouldn't wear it, you know? Um, It's just sort of, that's what's frustrating. And I, 
I guess I should go into a couple specifics before I pass it off to you because I, I know we feel pretty differently about this movie. But yeah, so the the first time I saw it, I it, it, it rushed past me. I mean, it, it's such a fast paced movie and it just does not stop. I mean, this movie picks you up and just throttles you, you know, it's like and you just get and then it drops you at the end and you're like, oh, fuck, did I just watch a Godzilla movie? What happened? Was that Mothra? What 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 is going on? It is so insanely the opposite of what we had in the last film. Now, I do think one thing I want to address about Legendary in general is that they're incredible at listening to their fans or whoever is sort of the, whoever sort of supervising the overarching MonsterVerse stuff. They've done an amazing job at listening to what fans want because with each movie in the MonsterVerse, you can tell that they're trying to address those things. I think in this one, they overcompensated a little bit. They're like, oh, I heard people were bummed out. They didn't get enough Godzilla in the last movie. They're like, well, here's all the fucking Godzilla. Like, just shove it down your throat. And they're just going to, and you're like, oh my God. Okay. Jesus Christ. Like a little less, maybe just like a little less of this. And it's not even the quantity that of the monster stuff that is a little much for me. It's, it's, it's kind of how it's treated. So um, I'll get more into specifics, but there really are some incredible visuals here. There are some, um, a couple great iconic moments. Again, I feel like just like the last one, there's some moments that go there one for the ages. I think the most disappointing thing about this for me is that it doesn't let certain moments breathe. I think that's this movie's biggest problem. You get some big iconic fan moments that they should just let the fans actually revel in and should just let you enjoy very much like that atomic breath scene in the last movie. And they just refuse to, you know, and it's, it's okay. If there's more of that stuff in the movie, that's fine, but give each moment it's time and it refuses to. And I think that's my biggest frustration with it. And that now these moments that should feel way bigger don't. And there's certain iconic moments. I forget about the moments that should be iconic that I forget because they they just whiz by it every time and they never have the effect I want them to have no matter how many times I watch this movie because this is now like my third or fourth rewatch of this movie and every time I want these big moments to have the effect they're supposed to and they just don't for me so overall I do like this film and respect it there's so much that weighs it down that I, it just really frustrates me so Josh let's oh, I want to hear what you have to say I adore this movie spoilers but I adore this movie, but I 100%, 100% can acknowledge that it is flawed like nobody's business. This movie, it just holds a special place in my heart because A, it's the second Godzilla movie I ever got to see in, you know, theaters here in the States because I missed Shin Godzilla because I think we mentioned it in our Shin Godzilla review that I missed the theatrical showing because it was in Boston and at the time I was living living in Vermont and that's a two and a half, three hour trip just to go down for one movie and Funimation kind of let the ball drop on the theatrical release of that. So I never got to see that one. So this was a big deal that I get to see a Godzilla movie in theaters again. Like what? I never, it still blows my mind that I'm seeing these in theaters right now. And, but yeah, I will admit this movie has a lot of flaws. There's some jokes in it that make me go, Dotary, you were doing so well. Why did you put that in here? I'm looking at the fucking gonorrhea joke, goddammit. And um, also when Zaya Zhang, or is, however you pronounce her name, I'm sorry. <laughs> when after Vera Farmiga's character gives her speech, she's like, that bitch. And I'm just like, yeah. <laughs> So 
I 100% know there's some flaws in it. But for me personally, I can overlook it just because of how much this movie respects the franchise at the same time. I mean, yeah, some of it rushes by and it could have been could have been done better. But at the same time, I am shocked at the fact that we got this big budget movie that wanted to pay as much respect as it possibly could. Like there are scenes that are filmed just like you know, obvious callbacks to like other past Godzilla films. Like when Mothra hatches from her cocoon under the waterfall, it starts with a shot of the moon and pans its way down into the, you know, where everything is. Mm -hmm. And it's almost a similar shot as in Tokyo SOS when we went from the sky to her egg. Oh yeah. And it's just, it's little shit like that. And the fact that Bear McCreary did such an amazing job rewriting Afuka Bay's music for some of these scenes, just his work on Godzilla's theme and Mothra's theme, his Mothra theme just sends chills down my spine. And I had the biggest smile hearing the bum, ba-da-dum, bum, bum, bum. Hearing that play over a theater surround sound system was a childhood dream of mine. I've always wanted to hear that music in a theater. And hearing that just blew me away. It, it I have... I remember just having the biggest smile on my face hearing that in theaters. And I admit, I adore the human cast in this movie. I don't care what anyone says. I What? (laughs) Really? I know. Yeah, I I love, um, God, what's his name? Bradley Whitford is Dr. Rick Stanton. I, I like his character a lot. No, um, I hate him so much. I mean, I like I like the actor. I the character I cannot stand. He's there to yeah. say stupid shit, and that's it. Yeah. And but I I genuinely just I don't know what it is about the human cast, but the more like I watch it, the more I'm like, damn it, I kind of want to see more of them. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I know, I know. I'm in like a weird minority here. I remember watching this with my best friend Dakota. Shout out to you, bro. I love you. And he admitted after we watched it, this was one of the only times he really cared about the human story. Which there were some, there are some genuinely good moments in the human story. There is a but, really good. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. But again, as you had mentioned, the dramatic moments do get undercut sometimes by some terrible jokes. And a lot. Yeah, and I will admit, Dotery, you fucked up on that part, bud. I love what <laughs> I love what you were going for, but uh, I mean, this I I believe this was one of his third, maybe fourth movie he ever directed himself, and then this is the highest budget movie he ever directed too. So he did trick again, or treat, right? Yeah, he did trick or treat and Krampus. I know those are two of the movies he worked on. Mm-hmm. I know he uh, worked as a writer for a long time too, because he has writing credits on this and Godzilla vs Kong. Cool. But he, the moments that work really well, they do work. But I just wish he had refrained from writing in some because I feel like he was trying to check off boxes as well for like, oh, it's in a blockbuster, so we got to have you know goofy writing you know like jokes and stuff but we also have to have these serious moments and apparently there's like a three-hour cut of this movie and to, honestly to me still a three-hour cut would have been a little too much for me but maybe lengthen it to two and a half hours to leave in some of those human scenes because this movie does skyrocket through everything and there are some human scenes that could have used just a little more time to breathe i think for me it would depend on what the missing hour was because this movie's what like a little over two hours right 
It's like two hours and 10 minutes, I want to say, yeah, at which the most. I do respect it for not being another two and a half hour blockbuster. But what we lose in that, again, is getting to breathe in any of these moments. Now, if that three hour cut is the same movie we got with all the same scenes, but just extended and allowing to actually build up to them and breathe and have a little more like changing of momentum and pacing. I would really love that. And honestly, I don't think the three hours at that rate would be too much. I feel like it's very much like it's very comparable to to the Snyder versus Whedon cut, right? Of justice league is that the problem with the Whedon cut was that you're trying to introduce Aquaman cyborg, the flash. And, you know, in this one, same thing, you're trying to introduce Rodan, King Ghidorah, Mothra, and you're trying to do it in two hours. And, but you also want to have 13 human characters and all these fights and interactions between the monsters, interactions between the humans. And it's just too much. It's too much for a two hour movie. Um, It's the biggest franchise sin you can commit franchise movie sin you can commit is just cramming in too much. And this movie does that. And yeah, I just, that's what annoyed me the most about it. There is a nugget of a really good human arc here. I love the, the family dynamic, the idea behind it is really good. I like when they introduce it. I like how at first they make it seem like, yeah, you're like, oh, well, the dad's the distant one. And and typically, you know, the parent who isn't there is the one who's got their issues. But the mom almost has more baggage. Well, definitely has a lot more baggage that we learn about. And I definitely think that hinders. Or I, th- I think not, not that that hinders it. Uh, I think it just it changes the tone of the film right because once it goes into her arc it goes real deep and it gets real dark (laughs) and she does some shit where you're like wait what and i don't know if they sell it well enough for me because she does become the borderline villain of the movie in a way in which you kind of it makes you wonder why they needed a whole terrorist organization in this too (laughs) i don't know if any of that was necessary but that's what i mean is there's just like the story could have if you were going to do that story you could have just focused on just primarily the family and i think a lot more could have been taken out i think the creature designs are a huge plus in this movie i think every creature and the way that they are brought to life is amazing but again it's I it's like look at how fucking cool Rodan is for 30 seconds and then it's like look at how fucking cool Ghidorah is for 30 seconds and I think my biggest issue so with the action is that you get these big wide introductory shots of these creatures and those are the shots they showed in the trailer and they look amazing but then once the creatures get up close it's like the equivalent of just watching a kid smash action figures in front of like a hose spraying down because there's always weather effects. (laughs) And it's just like, and it's shot in like a, like, like it's a born identity fight scene all of a sudden. And it's, there's like a cut every three seconds and not even, I mean, probably every one second. And it's just like, it's, it's so fast and such a fucking mess that my eyes just can, can never seem to register at all. And that's why I think by the time I like figure out what the fuck just happened, I'm like, Oh, well, this is the next scene now. And I guess we're moving on. <laughs> I don't really get to enjoy that fight. So that's how I felt with a lot of the monster action. Did you, I mean, do you, does any part of you find that kind of annoying or were you able to kind of calibrate with that pacing of the action? Oh, I totally did calibrate with the action, but again, I 100% see the flaw in it. Cause there are, so one thing that apparently Godzilla versus Kong does is it just sits down and lets us see the action. 
which must have been a direct response to the fact of the way the fights were edited in this one. Because yeah. there are some good moments, but this it takes you a you know a second to recognize what the hell's going on. And myself, I've seen this movie probably about 15, 20 times, it feels like at this point. You don't say. Yeah, I know, right? God. Zilla. <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> If you've seen the movie, you you know why I just did that dumb fucking thing. But I'm gonna go uh, sit in the corner of shame. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, yep. Okay, um, back to the movie. Bradley um, Whitford, everybody, <laughs> we love him. Yeah, there are some action scenes that I wish because there's some when it wants to focus on the monsters for a hot moment, it does a good job. And like, there's even some cool shots when they were in Fenway Park, which I've been there, so it was kind of cool to see, you know, Fenway in Boston. Well, one thing I will admit is, uh, fuck Boston. That city can go to hell, and I'm so glad they erased it from existence in this movie. Um, you got something to say about fucking Boston, dude? Yeah, I got something to say about fucking Boston, dude. Fucking Boston? Oh, God. Beautiful yeah. city. I hate driving through it. Um, There's this cool scene in Fenway where we're seeing it from the human's perspective while the monsters are above them. And I wish it done a little more with that. Cause it was cool seeing, cause it was almost like it was trying to stay in tone with Gareth Edwards design, you know, where he was keeping it human leveled, or at least where our camera uh, be where human could be for the camera, which they tried doing a couple times in this movie. And one of my favorite shots is there, Godzilla's fighting Ghidorah and he like turns around and whips Ghidorah with his tail. And as Ghidorah's reacting, it was, it's, pans back down to the humans and it was really cool seeing those kind of things and again the editing kind of ruins it because not gonna lie Wes I didn't have an issue with the editing until you brought it up when we started watching because we watched this together at one point one of the last times you were up visiting yeah you had brought it up and everything and it was just not gonna lie it kind of shattered that glass for me <laughs> I'm sorry I, it, I it's okay it man out. like I it's probably one of those I just Godzilla brain activates everything else doesn't you know mm-hmm. bother me but no That's I fair. again I totally get when people have issues with this movie and I will admit like I was saying earlier some of the dialogue does make me cringe mm-hmm. one thing I do like Kyle Chandler as an actor I liked him in this movie for the most part but he does this weird thing where he like kind of whisper talks his lines like why is he he's got like so much intensity but it's just a whisper or he yells yeah it's either that or a yell there's no yeah. in between. Yeah, it's weird. One of my favorite scenes, though, is when they're in the Monarch base at the be- beginning when they first bring him down. And he gets to, it's the Godzilla intimidation scene. I don't know if I just said that. But I like that scene when, because he has a couple stare downs with Godzilla. And I think they're really well done. Mm-hmm. Like, because there, there's no dialogue. It's just kind of like him. There's a little bit of music playing, I think, both times. But it's subtle. It's not like trying to over hit hit you on the head with the music and everything which i see for me music you, you either play it subtly to kind of enhance the scene or you don't play it mm-hmm. you don't have to go full board with it like they tried doing and i think the 98 one for like trying to drive home the message of what the scene is mm-hmm. yeah i love that scene where he has his stare down with godzilla and everyone's like oh why is he a jack of all trades and apparently knows how to you know do everything with the monsters and it's just like the way they treat the monsters is giant animals and he's supposed to be a researcher that studies giant, you know, studies animal behavior. And he just puts that to the monsters and it makes sense to me at least. Now see why I have a problem with it. I have a problem with it from a script perspective because you have 
such a large human cast and so many of them feel fucking useless that I think a lot of the revelations, like they would have felt a little more like a team if they had actually given some of these moments to these other characters that don't have as much to say instead of continuing to give them to Kyle Chandler, which like him having these revelations constantly doesn't add to his character. It has nothing to do with his character arc. So like he doesn't need those lines of dialogue. So that that's my issue with it. And I think this, again, like, talking about how much this movie has is you almost forget that like there's this whole arc about him having to learn to forgive Godzilla and when you think about how the story is structured like shouldn't that be put more in the forefront but instead it's buried under all this other shit that again it, it doesn't have the emotional weight that I think it should but yeah that, that was my thinking was I, I just wish that the there's so many like yeah um, again forgive me if I'm saying her name wrong but Zi Zhang is just such an incredible actress from Crouching Tiger Hidden Dragon great movie and uh she's got so much range and they just she's reduced to a character that's best known for going that bitch like you said and it's just like it's so stupid and it, it frustrates me there's a lot of wasted talent here and there's a lot of moments that again like this movie has these big moments and you're just like man if you had put in the work again like the last one did to make us care about this then uh, we'd be way more invested for instance, Surizawa's death. The scene isolated by itself is one of the only moments that gets like time to just emotionally soak it all in. But it's on a character who we have like a collective of like 10 lines of dialogue before that in this movie. So it's just like, it's so annoying and it's so frustrating. And again, it's just like, why are you having 13 characters if you can't even give three of them love, you know, and enough love and enough of a well-fleshed out character arc? Not every character has to have an arc, but if you're going to give a character a six minute moment in the middle of your movie, <laughs> that's supposed to be this big, dramatic, weighty scene, maybe you should put in the leg work to build it up a little bit. So again, that's, some of the stuff that really frustrates me about this movie, it's like they just wanted to flip a switch and and be a certain movie at certain times throughout it, but they didn't put in the work to do it. So that's at least I felt like that. Oh, no, I totally get it. I totally get it. I really, you know, seeing this movie, it just makes me wish they would do a movie just on Monarch, just so we can see more of the characters and stuff. Because what this movie did for me was it made me want to explore the world even more. I loved kind of like the world building, seeing all the different outposts and them studying, cool, yeah. studying all the other um, Titans, sure. which one thing that was really cool that they were doing with this movie is made it made the mythology and fantasy elements even higher and stronger in this movie franchise, which we yeah. all know that's been where I've loved the franchise is when the fantasy elements get brought in. And I loved how like, Godzilla was treated like an old god and just stuff like that was what was really driving it home for me on why I love this movie so much. We get Mothra. Oh yeah. And I can't believe we haven't talked about this. This is the first time other Toho Kaiju have been brought into an American film. And like I said, design wise, they're fucking they're awesome. I mean, yeah. I, I just wish we got to see them in coherent scenes. But <laughs> yeah, and again, Every single one of these big creature moments where I'm just sitting there in awe, like again, Mothra hatching under the waterfall, fucking gorgeous. So cool. Give it an extra 20 seconds, you know, like let us really revel in it and feel it. So I actually, I want to go back to the music too, because that's obviously a great big musical moment. Um, I think with Bear McCurry's score, I've thought about it because I, I do really like it 
in parts. My issue with it is it feels very much, it feels very reminiscent of what the movie's like, where it has this like ADD, like, cause I've tried listening to the music on its own and anytime it like, it either rushes to get to certain motifs. Like they don't do it bothers me that he does the Godzilla theme, but then like, doesn't do the transitional part before the first little moment. And then the, like, he doesn't do the banana, banana, na, na. And without that, you just go straight from the like couple big bombs at the beginning. And then the, main motif so if you know what i'm talking about now this is look at me look at where i am as a godzilla fan that's ridiculous but um, i'm not talking like this about the music but but really it is a nitpick because i think it's representative of a lot of the issues with not only the score but the movie is that they just want to rush to these big moments i think it's really symbolic of like you know and even when i listen to the music i get the same feeling the movie gives me where i'm like oh this this moment's cool and big and epic sounding but it's really short and it came way it faster than I expected. Uh, that's what she said. But um, yeah, I just sort of, uh, sorry. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to leave that in. I'm leaving that in. <laughs> please do. Please do. But no, really, I, that's how this whole movie felt was like, a, like a really fast sex sesh. So that was just like, man, I, I, I think that was good. I don't know. <laughs> just, maybe. I don't know. They said some weird shit in the middle of it, you know? Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> dumb quotes but yeah i don't know it's i really want to be more into this movie than i am and i, I think i've tried I've, I've just sort of wrestled with the idea of loving this movie uh and i've been so back and forth with it that a lot of internal struggle caused by this movie for me and uh, i i think i've just landed on the side that it's enjoyable in moments it's flawed in moments i i'm glad i own it i'm, I'm glad that it's you know a movie i'm glad it exists i just i yeah I, i'm glad that these monsters got a chance to be on the big screen uh, i mean you know i'm all about that mothra but yeah i mean mothra resurrecting godzilla burning godzilla these are all moments that we live to see in a godzilla movie especially like big budget cgi moments on the screen but they're all three seconds long and <laughs> It just does not give it the right, like imagine if the burning Godzilla sequence at the end or the Mothra resurrection of Godzilla were given half the attention and time and care that the atomic breath scene was given in the last movie. This would be a totally better movie. I like. I think it's almost like inarguable. Like I, I think it's just, that's the type of stuff that I'm like, let that stuff happen. You know, I keep, I, I sound like a broken record here, but it's, it's really every moment I think about that. I like, I'm like, yeah, but it could have been a little longer and it could have been a little more, you know, fleshed out. And it just keeps, I keep stubbing my toe on that, that flaw with this movie. Oh, I, again, like I've said, I totally get that. Cause there are a couple monster scenes that I wish, you know, lasted longer because Mothra's sacrifice to save Godzilla that was one of the most beautiful scenes, like when she crawls up on top of him and like uses her wings to protect Godzilla. It's like that scene is iconic right there because this is the first time we truly see Mothra and Godzilla as 100% allies. And that was really cool. Yeah. But again, um, again, I forgot about those moments when they happened, you know? Exactly. Like, I don't know. I just, I can't help but love this movie. I don't know. I think it's just the fanboy in me has just been conditioned to it and everything. It's just. I think it's because it has a lot of the elements that I look for in a Godzilla movie, mm -hmm. but it's all kind of just steamrolled into one two hour movie. And one of these days, I want to see a goddamn Godzilla epic like what Peter Jackson did to King Kong. Sure. 
I, I want that in my life at I some point. That. Yeah. I think you go back in time, you give little me, little Wes, like six-year-old Wes, you give him the entire Godzilla franchise to watch. And then I grow up on the franchise over years and years and years and years. And then King of the Monsters comes out. I think I'd probably like it a lot more just because I think the sheer idea of seeing all these moments on screen, I, th- I think maybe would make up for a lot of my flaws with this film as a movie. Yeah. I think Dodori clearly loves the franchise and he clearly, oh, yeah. very oh, yeah. clearly like has wanted to do this for a while. The love is there. And that's one thing that I will say we haven't addressed it yet, but like, you know, that's the big thing with why the Toho movies work so well. And I, I will say that that's one element that this movie is not missing is the heart. The heart is 100% there. And I feel like he just wanted everything in there <laughs> and he wanted it all. And I think for better or for worse, we get it all and we get it in a time frame that maybe doesn't allow for all of it to really resonate, but it's there and it's there in an American Godzilla movie. I, I just parts of me wonder if maybe we don't need an American Godzilla movie that tries to do all the Japanese Godzilla stuff. Maybe just take some of those things, recontextualize them a little bit and go from there. And I think, I think that's what this movie needed was just kind of to pick and choose some of the stuff that it was really gonna try and focus on and try and do justice to, and then do its own version of that rather than just trying to do every Godzilla movie in one movie. So yeah, that's, I think that's where I land on it. I I do have a, fuck ton of respect for this movie and especially after seeing the whole franchise so and it was really exciting to see this again after watching all all the other movies so i'm definitely in a different place that with it than i was but i still kind of land somewhere in the middle where i feel like it's just it's a fun time for me still but it just doesn't it doesn't sit i it won't be one of the greats for me i don't think yep and um so a couple things i just want to say about this movie was Yes, Michael Dotery is, I follow him on Twitter and stuff, and he is, and I've followed like his interviews, he is one of the biggest Godzilla nerds I've seen. And I hate to say it, but he should have had maybe another director with him, maybe someone to kind of, or maybe a producer that was overlooking the franchise to kind of rail him back just a little. Because like you were saying, he does try and cram everything Godzilla into one movie. And that that's a bit of an issue because it doesn't give a chance for everything else to breathe. And I totally get that. And if I directed a Godzilla movie, I probably might have fallen into the same trap as that. But sometimes having a fan direct it is a good thing. Maybe just to have someone else there to kind of be like, yo, calm down, fanboy. <laughs> so one thing we mentioned when we were talking about 2014 is Godzilla's design. And one thing I absolutely adored is they changed his design and didn't mention it at all in the movie. So it's kind of keeping in context with how Godzilla's design changed with movie for movie and no one ever really said a word about it. So this one was a little more subtle outside the spikes or his spines. They gave the more traditional maple leaf Godzilla spine design instead of just like the jagged slate slate rock looking ones that he had in 2014 so 100% already a better design right there they shortened his tail a little which bummed me out because I've always liked how he's had a long tail mainly in the Heisei era but they did round off the tip like they did in the Heisei era so that was nice they uh, gave him bigger feet 
because for some reason they decided to give him elephant feet in the 2014 one, which <laughs> was weird. Yeah. Because uh, especially after like watching GMK where he has giant clown shoe feet. His clown shoe feet in that? Well, giant feet. His feet are massive in that movie. Hey, look, as a lifelong size 13, I take offense to that. Okay. <laughs> Hey, Godzilla's uh, supposed to have big feet, okay, man? Yeah, so it's just yeah. really weird seeing, like, tree trunk feet True. and everything. True. And, yeah, they, I think his head should have been just a little bigger, maybe. I don't know. I feel like he's kind of gotten a small head for his body size. Not sure there. I don't know. But they they basically fixed everything I had a complaint about in the 2014 design with the 2019 design. And to my knowledge, it's the same design for Godzilla versus Kong. Maybe just add some battle scars from this movie. See, that's, that's interesting. Cause to me, he looks a little different in the trailers, but I think it's just the lighting around. maybe. Cause maybe he, just, uh, I don't know. He looks more, I don't know, more like hunched over, like almost like it almost looks like he could be like four legged at, at certain points. His like his arms feel longer. It's uh, it's something they they could have lengthened his long arms so he could you know properly sling some punches towards Kong. That's true. If he's going to be throwing some punches, then yeah. throwing some some hooks, then might as well have longer arms for it. Yeah, and not to get like deep, dark, and depressing about this movie, but do it. This is the last movie I got to see with my dad before he passed away. So to kind of share there with it. Yeah. Yeah. That's why I said. I was going to get a little depressing, but um, my dad passed. Yeah. My dad passed away back in 2019, but one of the last, the last movie we got to watch together before that happened was this movie. So I have, you know, the man who got me into Godzilla. I got to share one of my last memories with him watching Godzilla. How did he feel about this one? Oh, he loved it. Yeah. 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 He doesn't, he isn't like if a movie entertains him, he'll like it. If it has a good story, he'll like it. Mm-hmm. And so he didn't have like the same complaint. I mean, he only watched it once, so maybe yeah. time would have changed his opinion on it. But mm-hmm. I remember at the end when all the monsters bowed to Godzilla, he was like, "Damn straight." Oh yeah, that that scene's classic. Oh um, yeah, I did I did like that moment a lot. I thought that was really cool. Yeah. Oh, one thing I want to mention is. I hate the fact that they used King of the Monsters as the title because that's the title of the 1956 recut of the original Gojira. But thematically, this movie, it makes sense for this movie because it establishes Godzilla as the king of the monsters. Yes. So I just I just hate the fact that it has to be the same title as the American recut. But (laughs) yeah, I mean, there's only so much they can do there. I I think it's a great title for what the movie is. Yes. Um, It makes a lot more sense than the recut of it where like King of the Monsters is before like that was a movie that didn't have any other monsters in it. So he's not really there's not many to be the king of, (laughs) you know, so I think this movie is much more fitting to be calling King of the Monsters. I did like that because, like I said, thematically, it makes so much more sense because it sets up Godzilla as the king of the Titans and everything. And I just love that. And I hate the fact that this is the first time in Mothra's, what was it, 1961? So well over her 50-year lifespan in the films and everything. How is it this is the only one that referred to her as Queen of the Monsters? I mean, like, for fuck's sake, <laughs> that, that should have been the tagline of her first movie. True, true. Yeah, I do, I, love, I do love the design for Mothra in this. She's oh, yeah. I love how, really like, cool. angelic they make her mm-hmm. in this. It's so yeah. cool. They make her, they do a good job of, 
that the design work in this is just so impressive. And again, it, it makes me wish that we got to see them more of them in the movie as far as like not just being in scenes, but just like longer shots and stuff like that, because yeah, I really do love some of the visuals and some of that detail gets missed when it's like, again, shot like a born supremacy or born identity movie. But I, yeah, I love that they kept the essence of her. Like they changed the size and shapes of a lot of things on her, but like kept the idea of her being delicate and, but still really ethereal and, and still powerful in her own way. So yeah, she's cool. Cool design, cool character here. Yeah, when she impaled Rodan in the final battle, I was cheering. I was like, fuck yeah, Mothra. And like, yeah, the idea of like molten Rodan was really fucking cool too. Yeah, they, they did so much cool stuff here. Yeah, it just makes me wish we got to see it more. But yeah, again, Ghidorah, we haven't talked about, you know, each of his heads has like a three, has like its own personality, you know, which is really cool. Yeah, that's actually, I'm glad you brought that up because I... King Ghidorah was portrayed by Jason Lyles, Alan Maxson, and Richard Dorton. They all provided motion capture. And I believe Jason Lyles also provided motion capture for Rodan. I feel like those three guys all performing as like a motion capture three-headed creature was probably either the most fun or most awkward experience of their entire lives. Like, I'd love to see the mocap images of those. Oh, like, th- there is. Uh, yeah. Right on the Blu-ray, sure. they have they have uh, behind the scenes of everyone. Because TJ Storm returns to portray Godzilla in this one. And mm-hmm. they actually did a really good job, you know, giving him more to do as Godzilla. And they really did a good job giving the motion capture actors their time to shine in the special features. And they actually were like, yo, these are the people we had playing the monsters, which was really cool because no one talked about it in 2014. Like, I think I might have learned that TJ Storm played Godzilla, but there was like one or two set photos and that was it. Oh, one thing I want to mention is during the credits that one thing that makes me laugh a lot is during the credits it says Godzilla played by himself, Mothra played by herself, Rodan played by himself, Ghidorah played by himself. I remember that, Leah pointing that out when we watched them. That when that it's little jokes like that that made me laugh and everything. Yep. That was a cute little way to pay respect to the franchise. And I love at the end they have a picture of Haru Nakajima mm. and paid respect to him because he had passed away a couple of years before this movie came out. Mm. 2017 so it was really nice that they you can tell there was a lot of love and stuff put into this movie but it it wasn't always in the right place i, th- I think it was in the right place i think it just wasn't always executed, executed. That, that's what i yeah. uh, that's what i was trying to go for i meant i know what you mean I yeah yeah I, th- I think this is a flawed beautiful mess like i said i think i think there's a lot to love here there's a lot to hate for me there's a lot to love here there's a lot to hate here and the end of the day i i think the fact that its heart is in the right place is what wins it over for me slightly you know it puts it just over the point of like i appreciate what it's trying to do enough and i appreciate the moments that work for me enough to where i think it's still an enjoyable experience i think everyone's going to get their own their own thing up about this i mean i know there's other people like you out there that think this is an incredible like just experience and just love this film dearly and i'm glad you know i'm glad that this is because i hate when that's wasted on like you know these cynical blockbuster films you know and this one feels so much more like yeah and this one feels so much like a wow you let them spend millions to do that holy fuck you know like that's awesome so 
I'm glad that this movie got made and I'm glad that if anything, it, it kept the monster verse rolling. And now we get Godzilla versus Kong, which like I said, I think legendary really does a great job or again, whoever is heading this monster verse, they understand that it's important to pay attention to what fans want. And that's the only way your franchise is going to survive. And it seems like they're continuing to do that. It feels like they're with this next one. They're like, you know, other people like myself have come out about King of the Monsters and been like, hey, I love that you guys had all that monster action, but like, could, could we tone down the weather effects a little bit? Can we get some wider shots? And we get all of that in this, it looks like. So I'm, I'm very much looking forward to that. And again, I, I think that as a piece of the whole in the MonsterVerse, I think that this this movie definitely deserved to be there, you know, regardless of not being not being flawless, not being without its hindrances. Yeah, and one thing that's uh, apparently they've been working on is this and Godzilla versus Kong were written in a writer's room. So they were getting together their writers for this series because mm-hmm. it's been Max Bornstein been working on the uh, script and screenplay. Mm-hmm. So, and the story and stuff. And Michael Dotery's helped out with this one and Godzilla versus Kong along with his coworker, Zach Shields and stuff. So they just like the Marvel Cinematic Universe, they at least have an area where they're working together to try and create a cohesive narrative. It's all just about how they can execute it, I guess. And it's just, again, I'm so glad Legendary is at least trying to stay faithful to the franchise and listening to fans, like you were yeah. saying, because, like, complain about 2014, not enough Godzilla. What do they do with 2019? They did try to put Godzilla, not, like, action scene, action scene, but at least try to make him feel... Like he's at least there for the entire movie. So he's much more present for sure. Yes. That's the word I was looking for. It wasn't always executed greatly, but Hey, they were at least trying to, you know, appease to the fans and everything. And I appreciate that. Mm -hmm. And again, this just makes me want a Mothra movie as well. Have a star as I I hope so. I want one. I know. Cause they set up so much of Mothra's backstory in this one, because when uh, Zaya Zang and, Mm-hmm. Kyle Chandler's character, you know, Mark Russell and Dr. Chen were uh, on the the Argo, which is a reference to Jason and the Argonauts mm-hmm. when they were on that. It's basically this version's helicarrier. Yeah. 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 And they were talking and, you know, they were playing up the aspect that her family is the Mothra twins. And I like that. we actually we actually see them having pictures from infant island and it's just this movie is full of so many easter eggs of the godzilla franchise i just wish you know maybe let them breathe a little maybe that's why i just want more damn it i just want more (laughs) well that's why you were saying like oh i don't know about a three-hour cut and i'm like no i think i think we wanted a three-hour cut like i would almost rather and and again not to bring it up but it is pretty similar like uh, i feel like it's the same a lot of the same reasons and again there was a lot more drama behind it but a lot of the same reasons the original justice league didn't work and then the reasons that a lot of people have come around when watching the snyder cut is that it's it's yeah everyone's like oh a four-hour superhero movie and then they sit and watch it and they're like oh thank god we had time for all that you know it's like yeah that's that's what happens when you let a movie breathe and if you pace it properly you know three to four hours is not that bad and we live in a world where it's like everyone fucking watches we binge watch shows like you know 10 to 20 something episodes you've been watch those seasons in like a week you know so it's like if you could do that you could watch a three to four hour movie like just fucking pause it you have a pause button you know so it's no excuse people long movies are fine you just need to get over it um straight (laughs) unless unless of course the 
the length doesn't call for it. You know, there's definitely movies that don't deserve to be that long. Like Godzilla 98 doesn't deserve to be over two hours, let alone three or four hours. So Yeah, no, fuck. That movie definitely did not deserve. Like this one is the one that would have deserved to have a, a longer runtime. Yes, absolutely. Because there, there are a couple deleted scenes included on the Blu-ray, which we're so all over the place with this. But um, on the Blu-ray, they have a release. Um, they put two deleted scenes on there that would have not changed too much, but it would have helped flush out our main leads of Kyle Chandler and Millie Bobby Brown. It would have. Yeah, we did. Wow. We didn't even talk about the fact that she's in this movie hot off of Stranger Things and everything because there's so much. <laughs> You forget yeah. entire elements of the movie because there's so much. But yeah, she's stuck in between the Vera Farmiga yeah. and Kyle Chandler being her parents. See, I could honestly, I could just record an entire podcast on just this one movie. <laughs> <laughs> I could too. I just, it would just have a different tone. Oh, yeah. But yeah, there's a deleted scene that two of them, at least, that would have fleshed out the family dynamic a little more. And it's like those should have been left in. But yeah. Overall, I still really enjoy this movie, and I'm glad it exists. I'm glad it's here for the franchise. I just wish, you know, this also came out right after friggin' May was a pretty stacked month for that year because it had Endgame was in its height. Oh, wow, yeah. John Wick came out. Detective Mm -hmm. Pikachu came out. I think Lion King wasn't too far behind this release. So, sadly, Godzilla kind of got slammed between, you know, major releases. Yeah. And of course, you know, critics shat on this movie. This is the only Rotten Tomato of the MonsterVerse so far. Yeah, which you could argue this movie is just not for those people. But I feel like mm-hmm. a lot a lot of them feel the same way that I do. You know, I, I feel like a lot of the criticisms are valid. I, I, I'm still back and forth on how much I enjoy watching this movie again because it's it's so... It for every moment that I'm like, man, this is fucking awesome. This is exactly what a Godzilla movie should be like. The next moment I'm like, oh, fucking A. So, yeah, I mean, I get being mixed on this thing. So I, it's quite the I movie. There's a lot to talk about. Yeah. And I think, I don't know. I, I think, like I said, at the end of the day, people are going to get what they want out of it. But I definitely am just glad that someone with this much love for the franchise got a chance to do their version of it, you know, with flaws and all. Definitely, definitely. Cool, man. Well, so how do you how do you feel, you know, having watched these? What do you think the main difference is? What do you think the thing is that separates kind of an American interpretation of this character uh, as opposed to the Toho Japanese franchise? So excluding the 98 one, because that had nothing to do with fucking Godzilla. It just bared the name and that's it. With the American adaptation... I think even Toho admitted this, that they were kind of disappointed in the fact that Godzilla no longer really had his nuclear origin, which to me personally, yeah, I totally get why Toho would want them to keep that because that's what Godzilla is. But for me, you know, being a little kid watching Godzilla, I viewed him as a superhero. And for me, this version of Godzilla feels the most like that. But he also at the same time isn't your, you know, Captain America or something. He's you know, not an anti-hero, but he's only doing it, saving the world because he lives here. It's his mm-hmm. world. Yeah, we just live in it. Um, I I love the fact that he, they build this mythology around him that, you know, he's this alpha, he's the king, and I just love that aspect of Godzilla. And 
I'm I am glad that they do have some of the nuclear elements in there. And honestly, I think this and the Heisei era of Godzilla are my two favorite representations. Because they make, they both those eras turn Godzilla into a character. And that is when I feel that he is the best, is when he's not just some giant monster, but they actually give him a bit of a personality. And I feel that. Turn, yeah. I don't know. I, I, I just love the MonsterVerse. Yeah, I, I think... I think the biggest thing for me, the biggest difference between the the American and the Japanese interpretation of it is I think that Toho has always been very, or the, peop, the people working on the Toho films have always been very patient as far as the monster elements go. It's never really, it's funny because everyone shits on, or the, the naysayers of Godzilla 2014 uh, shit on the fact that Godzilla is never in it. You know, he's never in it, but watching this whole franchise, there's a lot of the movies where he has that much or just as like either just as little or less screen time. So, I mean, if you know the franchise, having not that much Godzilla is not that surprising. And I do feel like these movies are looked first and foremost as monster movies, where I feel like the interesting thing about the Godzilla franchise is they're almost rarely approached like straightforward monster movies. I mean, that's almost the least interesting thing to them, you know, and there's, they're always about something bigger, whereas these aren't these try and force something bigger into a story about monsters but it's primarily a story about monsters whereas the other ones are always stories the japanese ones are always stories about other things going on in the world told through monsters and i think that's the main difference i i don't think and i think a lot of that's obviously due to the events that americans can't relate to that are told through the Japanese storytellers, but yeah, I just, I just think it's interesting to watch this stuff recontextualize. And I really hope that I hope that this is a good sign for Toho too. I hope that there's more of an interest so that Toho can keep telling their stories and we can keep seeing what they have to say about this too. And what more they want to, what more they want to tell. Exactly. Yeah. And I'm just glad that the MonsterVerse has brought Godzilla back to the forefront because without it, we wouldn't mm-hmm. be in this Godzilla renaissance. And sure. So that's another reason I've kind of have a special place in my heart for this is Toho wouldn't be back to making Godzilla. We wouldn't have Shin. We wouldn't have the cursed anime trilogy. We wouldn't have Singular <laughs> Point. Mm-hmm. I'm excited for what the future holds for the Godzilla franchise. Because yeah. if Godzilla versus Kong is the success it's starting out to be, it's already made $120 million during a fucking pandemic, which is amazing. Mm-hmm. So if Godzilla versus Kong is a success, we're going to have two parallel universe Godzillas going on. We're going to have Toho doing their stuff and Legendary doing theirs. And what more could you guys ask for as a Godzilla fan? Absolutely. And especially a new Godzilla fan like myself. Yeah. All right, man. Well, this will probably be the easiest ranking for us. Uh, Oh, yeah, definitely. Definitely. (laughs) Why don't you go first? Very easy. 98. I have it ranked as low. I even wrote a note next to it. I have it ranked as number three right now for the American films, but I said it's as bad as All Monsters Attack. Then I put, so for me, as a movie, I would put 2014 higher. 2014, I think, is an excellent movie. But on a personal scale, King of the Monsters is, is my number one. I, Just I because it. I have I that was all the emotions, you know, I have that emotional attachment to it. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I totally so, yeah, get that. That's um, my personal ranking. <laughs> and yeah, almost the same thing, but, you know, 98 at the bottom, of course. And then King of the Monsters and then 
2014. And I'd say those are very evenly spaced out. Like to me, King of the Monsters literally falls directly in between a good and a bad movie. 98 falls in exactly what the definition of a bad movie is. And 2014 is what I would consider just a very solid movie. Not perfect, but very solid. So definitely my favorite iteration, American iteration of Godzilla. So thus far, but that could change in a day. Who knows? Crazy saying that out loud, huh? Yeah, I am viewers. I am absolutely ecstatic that tomorrow <laughs> Godzilla versus Kong comes out. I already got my tickets. I already plan to see it in theaters, obviously. And then I'm going to come home and I'm just going to rewatch it and then have a third rewatching with you, Wes, at some point before oh, we do the podcast. I'm looking forward to it. Well, yeah. We even I... promised not to talk about the movie until we're yes, doing the podcast. We're... We made a blood oath, actually with runes and everything it was a whole process yeah. um sacrificial lamb so yeah we're we're definitely not going to talk about it because i do want our and that's why we're recording that episode before we record the kong one even though the kong one will come first because we want it to be our fresh raw reaction myself probably coming off of one or two viewings josh probably coming off of eight by then <laughs> um <laughs> so yeah i'm looking forward to it well i think that about wraps it up for today uh, that so it thanks, does thanks again for anyone and everyone taking the time out of your busy day to listen and geek out with us for a couple hours every week this has been so much fun and continues to be uh thank you to josh for your hard work editing these every week and uh we look forward to our our very special Kong episode, uh, which you'll be hearing a week after this one. And then it's the grand finale for Godzilla versus Kong. Uh, we will see you then on Escape to Monster Island.